was one of these guys that, you know, his first comment was the pastor was dressed like the congregation. He said, and I was, I was a little surprised by that because the pastor usually dresses better than the rest of you. So I just wanted you to know I am dressed better than you are today in case you haven't noticed. You know, where is, where is my good friend? You know, we are, we're going to take this wholeheartedly. We've even involved some of our elders' wives. Uh, Nikki Murphy, are you in here? Yeah, Nikki back there, if you'll stand, Nikki. No, you don't have to stand. Nikki is dressed up. She has a dress and necklace and jewelry and all. We wanted Nikki to model what the appropriate Christian woman would look like this morning so you guys would have an idea. Um, We're going to try and put all these things. Another thing, I know I have some friends out here whose skin isn't the color of mine back there. You know, a couple of you guys. I'm not sure if you can come back next week or not. You may kind of stand out in the crowd. You know, we don't want... No, I'm doing this for a point, guys, and I hope you realize that. I wanted to do something out of the ordinary, something just totally different than what I usually do, and I'll explain more as we... Hey, by the way, happy anniversary. Not you, Danny, but... Uh, uh, Richard and Wendy are celebrating... Is it two years? Two years anniversary today. Amen. That's a fantastic thing. They've made it twice as long as a lot of people nowadays. Uh, but yeah, we're thankful for them. Uh, Richard said it's a horrible example for us men. If you try and hard follow his example, you will fail miserably. It comes natural to him. For the rest of us, we struggle to do that. So Richard, thanks for always challenging us in that. Uh, one of the things that uh, my daughter Cassie pointed out this morning is, well, one thing is, Dad, you don't play at your slot car track at 3 a.m. if you want to stay married. Trust me, I know that from this week. Evidently, the little clickety-click of the cars can be heard in the bedroom. I won't tell you how I learned that. Hey, I thought I was doing good, guys. I was cleaning up the living room, putting all my stuff up. And I thought, well, I just moved this over here. I want to make sure it still works. I mean, it didn't make two laps. Click, click. What are you doing? Do you know what time it is? No, man, I had no idea. I, I tried. The, I thought it was 10 o'clock, but no, that didn't work. So, you know, just a little free advice before the actual sermon this morning. But before we even do anything else, even before we pray, I want to look at this first slide series we've been doing is called Undignified, and the definition of undignified is appearing foolish and unseemly, lacking in dignity. And what I wanted to point out this morning was what it looks like to be undignified, what it looks like to maybe appear foolish or especially unseemly. I don't know if you guys have looked around or not. Unseemly means you kind of don't fit in, look like the rest of the crowd, kind of stand out, whatever. I may look just a tad different than the rest of you this morning, okay? So I want you to be thinking that as we go through this morning's message, what it may take for us to reach those that are far from God, what it may take for us to look like someone else, to be able to empathize with them, to pursue those people. It may take away our dignity. It may take away who we naturally are. But I really want you to think about that this morning. And let's be thinking on that even as we pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for this opportunity this morning, Lord. Um, all those that are here, we thank you for their attendance. And God, just pray that um, my words will be spoken not by me, but the Holy Spirit through me, God, that we can, can learn some things that will be practical this morning, some things that can help us to reach out to the lost in the communities and the world around us, Lord, whether it be a, be a homeless man on the street or the owner of a Fortune 500 company, Lord, that we can learn how to interact with people and that your spirit and that the, the image of your son can be seen in our community, Lord. And we just pray these things in your name. Amen. So, guys, a little bit of a different start this morning to things. How many of you have to dress up for your job during the week? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, some of them don't. So, 
Some of them, like Don, hate dressing up so bad that he created his own company and his own dress code just so he doesn't have wear, wear you know, sandals or steel-toed shoes if you're handling something heavy. That's their dress code. That's pretty much it. But, yeah, this morning we want to look at some of these things. The thing I wanted to allude to is we must give up our individual freedom in order to pursue Christ and be a witness around us. And the verse that I'm getting that from is 1 Corinthians 9, 19. It says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. In our country, other than probably where we work, we have the freedom to be whatever individual we want to be, whatever that looks like. Whether you want to dress in a suit and tie and go to church, whether you want to dress like a biker and come to church, whether you want to dress like a hippie as Don does, you know, all these all these things. You, look, he doesn't even have his shoes on. I'm you, you never know. I was just kidding, and now I think I'm serious. But, you know, all these different things, different people, different races, different things coming together to worship this morning. But the one thing I want you to get out of this verse is you've become a slave to someone. You're not a slave to me or Mark or the church or the elders or anybody else here. You're not a slave necessarily to your boss. Some of you may think so, depending on what you're paid and what your work situation is. But who we're really a slave to is Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to come through this morning. We are a slave to Jesus, and we are giving up our individual rights, our ability to be just who we want to be, which we hear is so important in our our society these days. We're giving that up in order to become more like Christ. Can you understand that? We're giving that up to become more like Christ. Uh, The next slide, which I got a little out of order for you there, but we must give up our individual freedom in order to pursue Christ and to be a witness to those around us. Sometimes Christ will make us do things that we're uncomfortable with. Sometimes we will be in amongst people who aren't naturally like us. That is the hardest thing to do is to figure out how to be a witness for Jesus to people who you may not really understand their culture, uh, whether it be, and I'm not just talking about cultures around the world, how people in Haiti or Kenya live. I'm talking about people that live their life as businessmen versus bikers versus engineers versus, you know, we all have a little bit different culture. Even our family get-togethers and things, you can see that culture. And what we have to do is figure out how to always be able to relate Christ no matter where we're at. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. If you want to follow along, it's obviously on you version. I don't know if we put the slides up there, um, the slide about you version, but this will be on you version. If you search for a live event, you'll find Journey Church and can follow along on you version. If you don't have a have a, a Bible with you, you can follow along in uh, in you version, an electronic version of the Scriptures, which is a great application. But this is from First Corinthians nine twenty. For those of you that may have a paper Bible, want to look in that First Corinthians nine, beginning with verse twenty. Paul says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. Paul is a guy that described himself, I think it could best be put in terms we would understand. He was a Jew among Jews. He followed the Old Testament scriptures. He followed the letter of the law. He was as close to being a perfect observer of the Jewish religion and customs as you could get. And then he found Christ. And it turned his entire life upside down. He found that the Messiah had come to him. He'd come to both the Jew and the Gentile. He found this new way of living and this new way of worshiping as well. 
And he's kind of in a, in a, in a pickle a bit. You know, some of you may have experienced that when you came to Christ. You looked different than your friends around you. You worshiped differently. You know, you did things differently. And they didn't quite know how to take you. And I think that's part of what Paul is saying here. The number one thing he didn't do, if you notice this, is he says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like they did. Notice he didn't say, I went in and tore down their religion and said, you guys are wrong. The Messiah has come. What you're doing is absolutely wrong. All these Passover feasts and junk you, you, you're observing, that's just junk now. Christ, Christ has come to free us from all that. We no longer have to make animal sacrifices, all these things. He didn't come in and do it that way. He came in and as much as things that didn't violate his conscience as far as following Christ, he went along with their culture. He went along with them. Why did he do that? He said, you know, today in American society, we say, well, you're a sellout, man. You, you, you didn't, you weren't true to your beliefs. No, he went in Ruth, absolutely knowing that you're never going to reach people for Christ by coming in and slapping them in the face and offending them on your first visit. And we've, we've got to look at that as, as a culture and as, and as people that we have to learn other people's culture other people's ways of worshiping, other things. Not to say whether it's right or wrong, but to be able to go in and have an audience with them. Guys, if I can't speak with someone else, I can never, ever be a witness for Christ to them if I don't have even an audience with them. And that's what Paul was saying here. He said, the Jews have some customs and things. He said, it wasn't a big deal for me. You know, I didn't eat meat that was offered to idols. You know, I didn't eat certain things. I obeyed their dietary restrictions. I did those things when I was with them so I could fellowship with them so that we could be together. I did those things. I became undignified in my pursuit of those Jews knowing that they were lost. They didn't know who Christ was. And it was a small sacrifice for me to be able to adjust my personal lifestyle just a little bit to be able to go in and be a witness to those people. Let's continue on in this passage of Scripture. He says, When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. What he's saying there is, when I was with people that didn't have that same culture, that didn't have that same somewhat ritualistic belief system of the way they worshiped, I didn't make them follow that. I didn't say, well, you know, the Jews do this. You know, you've got to do this. And they had, we're not talking about the Ten Commandments, guys. We're talking about all these other small laws and things that the rabbis and things had forced upon the people that you had to, you know, you had a specific order and way you washed your hands before meals. I mean, it was just things like that that had nothing to do with the message of Christ or, or, or God's word, but it was ritualistic things that they had added on top of Scripture and when he was with the Jews, he would do those things. He would wash like they did. He would observe their customs. But when he was with the Gentiles, he didn't go in and say, you didn't wash your hands correctly. According to Jewish custom, you should do this. He's like, no, I was raised that way. But it doesn't, I'm not offended by the fact that you don't worship like I did when, when I was with the Jews. It's okay. You don't have to do the ritualistic hand washing before we break bread. He was trying to be a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentiles. Now, in our society, that sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? Sounds like we would say that would be two-faced or wishy-washy or something of that nature, not standing true to his beliefs and, and who his individualism is. That's exactly what we do when we become a slave to Christ. Christ 
The Holy Spirit is going to guide us in these situations and how we need to witness, how we can relate to others, what it may take to be them. You know, I might have to go to a Super Bowl party and sit with Seahawks and Bears fans or something horrible like that. Being a Packers fan, that's awful. I shouldn't even associate with those people. You know, you should go in and say, I'm not going to sit at that table. I'm going to go over here and sit by myself because I don't want you to think that I'm one of those fans. I don't want to be associated with them. But we, we do these things. And I like this final part of the scripture. It says, when I was with those who are weak, I shared their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share, it, and share in its blessings. Becoming weak with those who are weak. That's something we have to be careful with when we're weak. Because it depends on what they're weak in. If you're out dealing with somebody that's an alcoholic, don't offer to buy them a drink, okay? If you're, if you're dealing with somebody that, that the club scene was where they often stumbled and fell in their walk, don't offer to take them to a club. Guys, we, we sometimes think that, that we're immune to all that, and many of us are. I can go into any bar in town and not be tempted to have a drink, but I know I have friends that can't do that, and I need to be sensitive to that. And when I am weak to those things, I need to be weak alongside them. I need to understand and empathize with the things they struggle with. We, we often hear that, you know, well, that's their problem. They're not strong enough. It's not my problem they can't handle drinking. You know, I'm not going to not have a beer just because of them. That's not the way to be. We need to be all things to all people. If they have some weakness, we need to share in that. But that also doesn't mean we need to become just like them either. That's the other far side that we sometimes take it to is, well, it's okay. They won't mind that I got drunk because they get drunk all the time. No, that's not what that passage means, guys. It's not an excuse to sin. You know, it's not an excuse to partake in their weakness. It's telling us to empathize with that weakness. You know, we've got to learn who we're with and what's going on. You know, and how do you do that? Okay? You don't do that by simple observation. You don't do that by, by trying to guess, well, that person's dressed like this. I think I know they act like this. You know, you have to form relationships with people. That's what all the gospel relies on is our relationship with these people. And I'm going to form a much better relationship with someone if I understand their weaknesses and I'm not a temptation for them and not enabling their bad behavior than I am if I come in and I make things worse for them. You know, I need to do these things. I need to be a friend to those in need. I need to modify my individuality and my lifestyle sometimes to things that will make me a better witness to them. You know, so, so what do we, how do we practically do that? It's that? One of the next slides, I want you to really listen to this. Our message must be tailored to fit our audience. The truth never changes, but the method of delivery must reach the intended audience. That's one of the reasons we formed Journey Church, guys. If you want to go to a typical Southern Baptist church with a pastor that probably dresses much like this, he may even still wear a tie. You know, if you wanted that environment with traditional hymns and music, there's a church for you. There's a church for you. I can probably, what is the, what is the, uh, the old saying? I can sling a cat by the tail and hit it. You know, there's a bunch of those churches like this around here. And if that's where you're comfortable at, God bless you, you go there and you can be fed there just as much as you can be fed here. But Mark and I recognized there was a segment of our population that didn't feel comfortable in any church. That's the reason we've created an atmosphere here 
that some think looks more like a bar than it does a house of worship. But it's comfortable. It's, a, it's an environment where you guys can come. We can be as undignified as we need to be in order to reach you. We can do those things that others maybe aren't willing to do because of their culture, their upbringing, whatever, their traditions. We're willing to do that here because we want to reach an audience that we feel isn't being reached. Now, guys, some of you I've told my testimony before. One of the first places that that I started uh, preaching in public was at car shows. Do you think I dress like this when I go to a car show and preach? Heck no. Do you know why? I gained more respect, and I will never forget this. One guy came up to me actually after and, and verified what I was thinking. He came up and said, I have never heard somebody deliver God's word using a, this wearing a Valvoline T-shirt. He said, but it was cool. He said, I could relate. I understood the things you were talking about. I felt like you were one of us. That's the reason we often alter our individuality a little bit for who we're talking to, who we're speaking with, who we're trying to reach. We become undignified to reach those people. I know, I know pastors even that would have been mortified to preach God's word without a coat on. I don't know why I don't get cold and need a coat on when I preach. You know, it's, uh, that's, that's the reason for a coat. You know, it's an accessory. I bought this. You know, some of you guys may be thinking, this guy is schizophrenic. Uh, he's, he's got like multiple personalities or something. I do have multiple personalities. I have Scott, the pastor, hot rodder, normal guy, and I have Scott, the businessman. You know why? Because my business expects me to behave in a certain way when I represent it. When I go on business trips, they don't expect me to wear flip-flops and a, and a hot rod t-shirt. They expect me to, to represent how the company looks. So when I'm at business, I dress as a businessman. When I'm with Gentiles, I perform as the Gentiles do. When I'm with the Jews, I'm like the Jews. Okay, everybody's laughing. I'm afraid to ask what's going on behind me back here. But, but I do have those things going on in my life, and I recognize that. I have to give up a, a little bit of my individuality to dress the way I dress to go to work. Anybody else have that? Do you, you know, you, some of you, Cassie's a teacher. One of the reasons she, we were talking this morning on the way in, she said, one of the reasons I don't like to dress up on Sunday, I have to dress up all week long. I have a dress code I have to meet. I don't want to dress uncomfortably on Sunday. And that's fine. That's the reason. You know, this, this is an environment where I hope you feel dressing however you want and hope you realize we don't major on that minor point, you know. I was just looking back here and, caught, and looked back and saw Jeff Rains, and I'm, now I'm chuckling because the first time Jeff and his family visited us, Jeff was dressed kind of like this. <laughs> and they came, and I think it was during our uh, our fall kickoff thing. We had, you know, uh, we had big inflatables and water and all this fun stuff set up. Jeff looked at it, and he went home and changed clothes and came back. <laughs> and we haven't been able to get rid of them since, so they've stuck with us. But, you know, he recognized Jeff went in with probably a little bit of an assumption of what our church environment was based on the culture around us. There's not a lot of churches that look like us this morning. But he came in dressed as he felt he would be comfortable, and he soon learned that may not be the most comfortable thing to wear there. But we didn't say you have to go home and take your suit off. We didn't say anything like that. We didn't say you're not welcome because of that. If you're comfortable dressing like this, come every week. We'll be glad to have you. It's, I hope that you guys can see and appreciate the diversity in this crowd here. We have a very diverse crowd, and that's part of the beauty of this place and part of the the, the wonderful part of our community. But, yeah, I mean, I, I have to dress like this during the week, so I make the best of it. But I can tell you there are pastors who would be uncomfortable dressing and delivering a message like I typically do here. I actually spoke to a friend this past week, and it's, it's interesting 
about weaknesses and things that people struggle with and pastors' perceptions of it. This guy was telling me he was talking about um, this couple that he had been counseling, premarital counseling. They were asking, well, don't you go ahead and marry them or whatever? And he said, no, no. Well, why? He said, well, something came up in their counseling. So nobody was going to pry. But then he volunteered. He said, yeah. He said, the guy, I, I couldn't marry him. He said, the guy came up and he said, I... He said, sometimes I smoke a little marijuana, and I don't see that much wrong with it. And he wouldn't marry them because of that. Okay? There are some people here, if I got you down to that level of, of, of badness in your life, I would be jumping for joy if that's all you did. I'm not saying that things that are illegal should be legalized. I'm just saying, let's look at the individual's life. That person had no idea, probably. There are people that see that as normal in our culture, you need to become weak and be weak with them and step alongside them and counsel them of why it's wrong. Not just say, I'm not going to bury you till you quit that. You probably put a stumbling block between them and something that the Holy Spirit was leading them to do. So which is it better, guys? For the, And we don't even, and he didn't even know if the guy really did this very often. Is it better to say, okay, I am not going to marry you and let you pursue the holiness of marriage because you smoke a little marijuana or think it's okay, or to send them back to live in sin unmarried. Which was which is worse? We left them like we found them. That's not the purpose of being a pastor. It's not the purpose of being a witness. You know, we've got to learn that we have to be empathetic with those around us and realize they haven't yet around. They may have not gotten to the point in life that we have as far as their walk with Christ. Well, we've got to realize to reach out to them where they are, but not leave them there. If that path, that path is not perfect, guys. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian and decided to follow Christ, my life was not miraculously, instantaneously changed to where I was a perfect Christian. I don't know about you guys. Mine was not. And I appreciate those people that suffered along the way with me as I was trying to get better at it. But I want you to listen to some things. Now, we're going to have some bullet points here that I want you to listen to. But we must learn to respond as Jesus would, even if it may put us in an uncomfortable position. There are times when we're going to stick our neck out, when we're going to try and be a witness for Jesus, that it's going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to make us feel like, hmm, I don't know, maybe I don't have the right to speak into this situation. Maybe, you know, these these people aren't like me, you know. I am much more comfortable witnessing to a crowd of casually dressed people than I would leaders of a Fortune 500 company. It's just where my personality falls. But God didn't tell me I could pick the audience that I present His His Word to. He didn't say if you have friends that are that are business people that you can't you can't speak into their lives. He didn't tell me that. He didn't tell any of us that. So sometimes we get in situations we personally may be a bit uncomfortable about. But I got these, <coughs> excuse me, these next points from, a, from, from an article I read, a blog I read this week, and I thought they were so good that they fit so well with today's message about becoming different than what we typically are to reach many for Christ. Listen to this first slide. If we're speaking to cultural elites who despise us and our beliefs, we want to be bold and courageous. If someone is saying that Jesus stuff, that's just a crutch, that's just your, that religion's a bunch of hooey, that stuff. If somebody is like that, you need to be bold and courageous and say, 
no matter what you say, no matter what you believe, I know that Christ lives in my heart. I know who he is. I know the sacrifices he made for me. I know how lost I would be without him. That is your choice not to believe, but I believe it wholeheartedly, and I will never turn my back on that belief. That's being bold and courageous to someone that is perhaps antagonistic towards you, that says that, you know, that's, there's nothing to that. You know, that, that I, and, and when it says culturally elite, those are those people that think they're so smart they don't need Jesus. I've gotten to the point in culture, in my upbringing, and things that I know that, that religion is beneath me. Now, the next one we have here is, what if we're speaking to strugglers who fight against certain sins? We want to be patient and sympathetic. We don't go to them and say, you're a dirty, rotten, horrible sinner, and you need to give up whatever that sin is. If you're doing this, this, and this, God hates you. He wants to be rid of you. You need to not be like that, and we need to get that out of your life right now. You know what they're going to do? They're going to quit listening to you. It may take persistence to be a witness in someone's life. It may take over and over. If they're struggling, guys, with something, and it's come to the point that you know their struggle, they're not giving it up because they can't, not because necessarily they want to. We get in situations sometimes where our flesh betrays us and we do things that we don't even want to do anymore and we're so caught up in whatever that is, we can't stop doing it. And we need to be sympathetic to those people and we need to struggle alongside them and be patient. Some of those things don't change overnight. And I'm not saying that God can't change us overnight. We see throughout Scripture, we've seen examples all around us of where He does that. But He doesn't always do it that way. He doesn't always miraculously just deliver you, God, I don't want to do this anymore, and just, poof, it's gone. Many of us struggle over a lifetime with sin. You know, the Apostle Paul himself, who, who wrote the Scripture we opened with, he said, there are, you know, there are things I want to do and I don't do those right things and the wrong things I don't want to do, I do them anyway. It's such a mess am I. And then he goes back to say, the only way I can accomplish this is through Christ. So be patient and sympathetic. Now, if we're speaking to sufferers who have been mistreated by the church, we want to be winsome and humble. There are people, especially in the region that we live in right now, that have been horribly abused by churches around them. They've been mistreated. They've been told they are worthless. They have been so horribly wounded that we really need to go out of our way and let them know what Christ's true love looks like because they haven't seen it. You know, it, it's amazing how many people have grown up in a situation where they think God is some holy bully and he's just waiting to slap you down when you make a mistake. They don't understand the forgiveness and the grace that Christ offers us. So if you're in that situation... Speaking to someone who has suffered and been mistreated by the church, be humble about it. But please don't go to the other side and start an attack on church and how horrible it is. That's what I was talking about in my blog this week. Is we we decided to dissect the church and we've decided that this this isn't this this isn't that. You know, in Scripture, the church is is described as the bride of Christ. How many of you would be happy if somebody came into your home and was telling you what a horrible person your bride was, or I don't like her dress? I think her hair looks hideous. What would you think about that? Would you be receptive to that? 
What do you think Jesus does when we do that to his church and say, well, they're all right over there, but I don't like how they do so-and-so, and I think they should do it this way. You're not the pastor of that church. You're not the one called to lead that. You're not accountable for that. So maybe you ought to not pay any attention to that and worry about your own life. You know, we see that. We see that so much in society today. And that's the reason that the church, guys, does have problems. But it has greatness within it, too, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we just don't tap into that greatness sometimes. But, you know, we're doing enough harm to ourselves without having bloggers and people like this come out and criticize us in a public that already doesn't trust or like us. So be thinking about that, about when you talk about how churches act towards others. Now, if we are speaking to shaky Christians who seem ready to compromise the faith for society's approval, we want to be persuasive and persistent. If we see Christians that are saying, well, the world says this is okay. It doesn't matter what the world says. We need to know what Christ says, what his word says, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to form our opinions as, as a Christian society, as members that are participating in a broader society outside the church, how we represent the faith. And we need to be persuasive and persistent. You know, we, we get challenged with that here at Journey even. We, we've had that happen. And in, in the context of this, one of the things that, that is huge in all the media now is the topic of gay marriage. We have never changed our belief in that. We believe that that is a lifestyle that God does not endorse, okay? But that doesn't mean you can't come worship with me. Your sin is no different than my sin. You know, we're not going to keep you away and say, you cannot come and worship with us at Journey because you have that attraction. We're not going to say that because we don't believe that's what Christ would have us to do. Ostracizing those from in our midst is not going to bring them to Jesus, okay? But here's the thing you've got to remember. And this is, this is again, in this critique of the church that I keep hearing and the church doing wrong. Well, the church just keeps majoring on that point. The church just keeps saying that. You know, the, the one I always get thrown back is, you preachers, you talk a whole lot about sexual sins, whatever it may be, but you don't talk about being a fat glutton that goes to the Ryan's buffet and eats his weight and fried chicken every day. Bible says glutton is a sin, right? How many of y'all have heard that? You hear that rap against the church that, hey, you don't preach about gluttony. Do you know why that is? And I've had to think about that quite, quite a bit to determine why we don't think about that. There are, there are sins that, that we can go through, and there's kind of a laundry list in the Bible of things we shouldn't do. You know, gluttony is one of them, lying, cheating, stealing, robbing, you know, all these different things that the Bible says. Do you know why sexual sin is one of the ones that we have to talk about so much? Have you ever seen anybody come on the news with a news report like this? Well, in today's news, there's protest over the, over the ability to go and eat your weight in fried chicken at Ryan's. We think the church is wrong on this. Eating tons of fried chicken is good for you. It will help your heart. It will clear your blood vessels. And it will be a wonderful thing for you if you could just eat more fried chicken. Do you know who says eat more chicken? Only the cows at Chick-fil-A. That's the only people that are going to deliver that message to you. You don't see society majoring and pushing those things that God's Word says is incorrect on the church and on society. You don't see them pushing us and saying, it's okay if you steal and lie a little bit. If it gets you ahead in the world, it's cool. Go ahead and do that. Our society has not gotten to that level where they think that's acceptable. So we don't feel that that's as necessary to preach against. But sometimes when society is constantly pressuring you, and we know we have shaky Christians in our midst who would compromise because of the world, 
we need to be persuasive and persistent. It just lets you know God still doesn't say that's okay, but even though God doesn't say it's okay, we still love you if you're in the midst of it. It's okay with us. Okay? It's a very hard thing to do. Um, next one is, if we are speaking to those who are living as scriptures would not have them live, we need to be straightforward and earnest. What I was being a minute ago, I am never going to tell a couple in a same-sex relationship that I think it's okay by God's word. Because I can't find that in scripture that it's okay. If you disagree with me, that's fine. But I'm not going to go to the point to accept you as a person to tell you what you're doing is okay. Neither will I tell you that being addicted to drugs or alcohol or food or shopping or anything else is okay. I'm not going to tell you that just to be your friend to make you feel better about yourself when I know I may be leading you down a path of destruction. I don't want to do that. I don't want that responsibility. One of the things I saw this this um, week is the riot in Baltimore. I'm sure you all have seen that on the news and all the things about that. I don't know what happened to that, that person. He was somehow injured, whether it was at the police's hands, we don't know. I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned more about how people are reacting about his lifestyle. One of the things you may have seen I posted on Facebook this week was a quote from one of the people that knew him that said, I don't see it so bad when somebody comes and puts your hands, puts money in your hand to get narcotics from you. It doesn't make you a bad person. Yes, it does make you a bad person. If you're enabling someone else to destroy their life with narcotics, you're not a good person. I don't care if they do have the choice to buy it from you or not. You enabling sin in somebody else's life does not make you a good person. So when we know people are destroying their own lives, we have the duty to be straightforward and honest. We don't have to condemn you and, and, and talk you down, but we do have the responsibility to say, hey, man, this isn't good for you. Scripture says this isn't good for you. Let's talk about this. Do you need some help with this? Do you need some help with what you're struggling with? We need to be able to speak freely into people's lives when that's the person we're around. Next one. If we're speaking to belligerent Christians who hate or fear persons who identify with a particular lifestyle, we want to be clear and corrective. Oh, yeah, that's a good one today. Anybody seen the fine folks from Westboro Baptist? You seen them? They protested funerals, you know, uh, soldiers' funerals and everything. We're all going to hell because, you know, the nation supports gay marriage, this, this, and that. They are belligerent, and they, they are so filled with hate for those people that are different from them. And I actually have some personal experience with those folks. They, uh, they protested the church in Washington, D.C., where my brother-in-law serves at. He is their, uh, their sound guy and things there. It's a, it's a large, influential church in the D.C. area. A lot of the, the politically connected and people in the military go there, and that's where they choose to serve God. So the Westboro Baptist people came out and picketed them. And they had signs and saying horrible things about, number one, people they don't even know or know their hearts. They had signs out there picketing saying, your pastors are whores. Really? Something they had done, they, had, they, they were like they had sold out because they didn't preach the message they wanted them to preach and how they wanted to preach it, even though they had never been in a service in their lives to hear what they preached. They had discovered these pastors, they were, your pastors are whores. That's not the way to win friends. That's not the way to 
engage with culture, to engage with the people around you. That's not the thing you should be saying to people. Now, I had a solution for this. Many of you will now know why I'm not the pastor of a large influential church. I would have gone and hired some to show them what they really looked like and put them in amongst them. It said, I don't look like that. And that would have probably destroyed their writing, their protesting, whatever they were doing there, you know, with, with a bunch of, uh, let's say, ladies of the evening there propositioning them during their, their time of protest. But that's stupid. You know, but as I said, you now see why I'm at Journey. I'm not at the Big Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. That's probably not going to be a good thing to do. Sometimes I think of these things and think, oh, it's a good thing I can't really do that. But we need to, to be clear and corrective to belligerent Christians. They do so much to harm the message of God. They do so many things to distill and press down the message that we're trying to give out when we act and behave crazily like that. You know, we do these things. But listen to this passage from Isaiah 55. It says, The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. I have seen that that scripture used. I've seen it misused as well. Guys, preaching God's word or sharing a verse or whatever isn't like some magic talisman thing that you put out there, and it brings back results. It has to be that God's word always produces fruit, but it's got to be understood by the intended audience. And that's where we have to have an undignified pursuit of others is when we realize it's not comfortable correcting another Christian that's being belligerent. It's not comfortable walking alongside someone that is, that is just struggling with a certain sin in their lives. It's not, it's not easy to do these things. But we realize that when we put God's word into those situations, it will bring forth fruit. It always produces fruit. But there's also parables about the ground that you sow on. Keep this in mind. You may sow in ground that is so hard that no fruit is produced. There, there are people, we still have free will, they may reject what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to share with them. So keep those things in mind. But don't give up. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that you have to obsess over it. There are some people, they need to be given a little bit of space. They need to go and discover on their own that, hey... What that guy was telling me, this probably isn't a lifestyle I need to be involved in. I probably do need to reach out and admit I have a problem. But if, if, you're, if you're honest and you will, will look at the situation and realize, I need to not give up on this person. I need to not quit praying for them. Uh, Leslie and I were having a discussion this morning about how we pray for people. You know, do you pray and believe that God will answer the prayer or do you pray just in case? I mean, honestly, do you just say, oh, yeah, I'll be praying about that. And you say, oh, God bless him, but I know it's your will. If you don't heal him, it's okay. What kind of prayer is that? Where's our faith? Where's our reliance on the Holy Spirit? We were talking, I told Leslie, I said, you know, the Holy Spirit is the generator of that. If we're not turning the crank on the generator and trusting the Spirit to communicate that for us, how's it going to get communicated if we don't even believe ourselves? I see it all the time. And you know why we're afraid of that? We're afraid that if we pray something 
And for whatever reason, God doesn't answer it the way we were praying that we'll look what? Undignified. I'll look foolish for praying that. You'll look like you're one of those holy rollers that believes God can do anything. You believe that you just pray for it and God will answer it. Yeah, he will. Yeah, he will. He may not always answer it the way I want, but I want to go into the situation believing he's going to answer it in the best interest of the person. God is not there to strike those people down. God is there to lovingly give to them. And I want you to think about that when you pray. Have some faith. Have some have some belief that the things that we do are going to produce fruit. But finally, I want to close with these passages. Something close to my heart. It talks about racing. Unfortunately, it's talking about it on foot because they didn't have cars in the New Testament. But hey, Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. This is... Herman and Stacy are all over this, I know. They're thinking, oh, yeah, you're going to talk about race and the kind of racing I like. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All, I like that, play to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Talking about training. All right, I'm just going to say it right now. Herman and Stacy are crazy. They train and do things I could never dream of doing. But you know what? They have an audience. They have the ability to witness and rub shoulders with people in our society that I have no audience with. And I praise God that there, that there are dedicated Christians that are dedicated to sports and things. And people see that. First of all, they will see and be encouraged by your dedication to what you're doing. And that will give you an opportunity, an open door to become friends with them, to be able to fellowship with them, invite them to worship with you, invite them over to your house. All these sort of things in running a race that they run. And the second passage about racing is from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let me pause right there. Whether you are racing on a bicycle, whether you're running, whether you're, you know, whether it's in automobile racing, weight is your enemy when you're racing. You don't want to be encumbered by extra weight around you. Now, if you're training, you may put some weights on your ankles or whatever, or, or run with a pack on your back like they do in the military to condition yourself. But when you're really out there wanting to win, you don't want those things encumbering you. You don't want those things to, to hold you back. You want to have the lightest possible thing or the weight in the right place. If it's a, it's a racing application with automobiles. You want to do those things. And that's what sin does to us. When we have sin in our lives, it keeps us from running that race as quickly as we should. It weights us down because we're always thinking, well, what right do I have to have to talk to this person because I know I have sin in my life? And we have to deal with that. We have to shed that weight and that sin aside. But continuing on, it says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, its undignity. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. When we get discouraged in this race, 
when we get tired, we need to remember the fact that Jesus did too. He wept in the garden. His, you know, he sweat droplets of blood from the stress of what he was going through. He was going through a horrible time and he gave his very own life. We haven't gone that far yet, guys. You know, if our Savior can do that for us, we owe him to do as much as we can in our own lives. And we need the race to pursue others. It can be grueling. It can be unrewarding. And you don't see the immediate results you want. I wish, especially in, in, in the, the ministry that's so dear to my heart here at Journey, working with those that have troubles in their life, I wish that all it took was for us to come in, a group of us get around, huddle up and pray, and it's taken care of. But unfortunately, sometimes it's a grueling process. It's a race we have to keep in. And finally, the final point here, slide I want to make is we must run a race that is consistent and unhampered by the conditions around us. We've got to be able to run that race no matter what the situation looks like. Just like the many different people I said we could witness to, different, whether it's a belligerent Christian or a suffering saint, you know, whoever it is, we need to be able to be in those, those races and be able to witness to them unhampered by the conditions around us. That's one of the things, the reason I love sports car races. Donna in here, Donna's like me. She likes that sports car racing. I like NASCAR and things like that. But sports car racing, you know, it rains and the conditions get bad. You know what you do? You throw rain tires on there and you go at it, man. That is fantastic. Nothing like seeing a thousand horsepower car throwing a rooster tail of water up behind it. I mean, that is fantastic. They just keep going no matter what the conditions are. Unless it gets to be absolutely life-threatening, they don't give up. They race hard. They may crash out at some point in time. They're racing so hard to try and win the prize. You know, they may be down for a while. They may tear up the car. But, my golly, they don't let the conditions around them stop the race. 24 hours of Daytona, they race through the night. They race around the clock to win the race. And that's what God is, is expecting of us. He's expecting us to be in this race 24-7, around the clock, no matter what the condition is, in our undignified pursuit of those around us. He expects us not to give up. He expects us to reach out to Him for His, his support and do these things in the name of the Holy Spirit with His power through us and not give up the race to keep after it, to not give up on those around us that are dear to us, that we want to see come to Christ, those that we want to see delivered of the burdens in their lives. Don't give up. And sometimes that makes you look undignified, guys. Sometimes that makes you look unseemly and foolish. Why are you wasting time on that person? They're never going to change. How many of you have had that in your life? You've been told, I just give up on them. Yeah, they're never going to change. You know, they're always going to be that way. I don't know why you even put up with them. You know what? You should just, the spouse, divorce them and move on. That'll solve your problem. No, it won't. It will not solve your problem. Short-sighted thinking, situational things. You know, we need to pray that God will keep us strong and keep us dedicated and keep us praying and in the race because not only... Does it benefit our lives, but it benefits the lives of those around us? Our prayers do affect things, guys. If you don't believe that, you really need to go back and study prayer in the Scripture and see what it means to earnestly pray about something, something that affects affects us so greatly and not give up and not quit the race. And like I said, it does make us look undignified. It does make us look foolish. I don't know how many times I've had people come to me and say, you know, I think I'm just going to get a divorce. I just don't see any hope. 
And Christians are encouraging them to do that and saying, yeah, that situation, you could do better. You know what they're always told? You know what they're always told? You deserve better than that. No, we don't deserve anything. We're, we're meritless outside of our faith in Christ, and we need to remember that in these situations. We don't deserve better. What we do need is to submit to the will of God in our lives, no matter when it gets tough. That may just simply be a way that God is forming us for something even greater in our lives. It's when that pressure is on us and when the situation looks hopeless. Don't give up. Stay undignified. Stay pursuing it. Even if others think you're foolish, keep at it and don't give up. Ask band, would you come up now, please? Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you this morning for us having a little fun about our culture and the way we dress and the way we look. But God, what I want to thank you for most is your, is your Holy Spirit is moving through us. There are people out here I know this morning that are suffering. I know they're struggling with things in their lives. And God, I just pray that you will be with each and every one of them. And Lord, if there's a way that one of us can somehow impact their lives in a positive way, I, I pray that you'll show us that path, God. And I pray that you'll help us to stay undignified, God. Let us not worry about what we look like to society, what we look like to other Christians. Let us worry about presenting the gospel. Let us worry about being a witness for you. Let us worry about how we can most effectively help those around us and be an instrument in their lives for good, Lord. Let us be undignified always, Lord, in what we pursue. And God, just let us put our own feelings and our own, own personal self-worth aside, Lord. Give up a little bit of that individuality, Lord, in order to become all things to all men and to be a witness for you, God. And I just pray these things for our congregation this morning, whether it's guests, regular attenders, whoever is here, Lord, they will hear these words, God, and the Holy Spirit will, will help them to guide them in their lives and how to apply it. And Lord, I just pray these things in your name. Amen.